and welcome back to ACRAC. I'm Jed Wolpaw, and we've got what I think is a really interesting, different show for you today. It's just going to be me, but what I did is I sent a survey around to anesthesia program directors across the country, and I got about 15 to 20 responses from program directors, and what I asked them were two questions. First, what makes a great resident great? What qualities make you say that is one of my best residents? And then the second question is, what are red flags that make you worry that a resident might struggle? What qualities make you say, uh, that's one of my most difficult residents? And I'm going to go through these uh, in summary. And I hope that what this will do is serve for folks, both medical students who are going to be entering residency in anesthesiology to think about, you know, what, what do I want to do? And the reason that I, I decided to do this is I get this question a lot. I get medical students both here at Hopkins and across the country asking this question. I get applicants during interview season asking this question. They say, you know, what, do you, what would, if I come to your program, what will make me successful? What, or they might phrase it, what makes me someone who might be a chief resident? Or what makes someone be one of your best residents? And on the flip side, you know, what what are things to avoid? People want to know. I'm going to be there. I don't want to be labeled as a problem resident or a difficult resident. What should I avoid doing? And I think this is just advice that people don't get very often. Nobody says to you, hey, here's the top five things to make sure you don't do when you start your residency. Or on the flip side, here's things to make sure you do if you want to be really considered one of the top residents in your program. And, you know, what may surprise you as we go through this is almost nobody said anything about clinical skills at all, right? I mean, obviously, if you can't intubate ever, that's a problem. But what distinguishes a great resident from a not-so-great resident is not who's better at intubations or central lines, It's not really about those things, and we'll talk about what it is about. So I hope that this is helpful both to people who are going to be entering residency and people currently in residency who really want to know, I want to be the best resident I can be. I want to have the best reputation I can have. I want to get folks to think of me as one of the best residents in the program so that when my program director writes those letters of recommendation, when my faculty write those letters of recommendation for me for either jobs or fellowships, they are glowing. They say in there that I am in the top 5% or one of the top residents in the program because that says a lot. And it's the, it's the type of reputation that you want. You want to be somebody who is seen as a star. It's going to help open doors for you. It's going to open doors at your own institution. It's going to open doors for fellowships and jobs. And of course, as you probably know, your program director or whoever takes over from them is going to be asked to write letters for you for every job and every state license application that you apply for for the rest of your career. I still have to write letters and fill out forms for people who trained here 20 years ago, even though I didn't know them, but they still ask me. And so if you and it's so what what lingers what endures it's the reputation right it's the faculty members who knew you who will talk to the program director it's the staff It's the program director themselves if they're still there. You want those letters to be glowing. Your reputation is so, so important as a resident. I remember growing up, you know, always being told, don't worry what people think about you. Don't worry what people think. And I get that. The reason we tell kids that is because we don't want them to be subject to peer pressure all the time. We want them to do what they think is right, what we've taught them is right, regardless of what people may say. But it turns out that, in a different way, that's bad advice when you are a professional, especially when you're a trainee, because you're just building that reputation that will be the, the building block, the core, the basis of the reputation you'll carry with you for the rest of your career. And it's incredibly important what people think about you. What people think about you will determine what kind of recommendations they give you, what kind of opportunities they help you get. It will determine your evaluations in residency, and it will determine the places you can get jobs and fellowships. So it's essential to think about what kind of reputation you're building, 
what the people around you, especially your program director and faculty, think about you, but also your co-residents. Remember, people will reach out to them in 10, 15, 20 years, and they'll, they'll happen to know somebody who you trained with. And they'll say, oh, you know, you trained with so-and-so, right? Tell me, what, what were they like? Because we're thinking about offering them a job. So I'll tell you, you've got to protect and build up the way that your colleagues, your chief residents, your faculty, and your program director think about you. It's the best currency you have, and you can't squander it. So this, I hope, will be instructive as to how to do that well and what to avoid. So let's jump right in. All right, I'm going to go through what I got in terms of responses from program directors, and then I will intersperse some comments of my own. So again, remember, the first question that we're going to go through that I asked was, what makes a great resident great? What qualities make you say, that is one of my best residents? So first thing is, someone wrote, hard worker, doesn't complain, eager to learn, and seeks out opportunities to learn, receptive of feedback, helps out when they have downtime, helps give their peers breaks, and is obviously doing some reading and studying. All right, so let me comment on that. First of all, Working hard and not complaining. So let me be clear what I think people mean about the not complaining. Working hard pretty much stands by itself, right? Obviously, you want to be seen as someone who works hard and is not cutting corners, not taking the easy road. Little ways that can can come across, that you can demonstrate that. One is don't cut it close in terms of setting up your room in the morning. You know, it, it feels, I'm sure, and I remember this feeling like, oh, that extra five or ten minutes of sleep – is so precious, but if you find yourself not quite finishing your setup or rushing to finish it or you know, just not having things quite how you want it or getting to your patient's bedside in pre-op just a couple minutes later than the goal, then that you may feel like it's no big deal, but it will show. It will show. People will notice that you didn't have the drips actually programmed into the pump yet or you didn't have your hotline set up or you weren't at the patient's bedside at 7. You were there at 7.10. It may not feel like the end of the world, but little by little, you'll develop a reputation for someone who's just not quite as on top of it as people might want. Does it mean you're not going to graduate residency? No. Does it mean you're a terrible resident? No. But is it going to be the difference between you being a great resident or at least having the reputation as a great resident? It might be. So honestly, get up 10, 15, 20 minutes earlier. It feels like the end of the world, but it isn't. It'll pay off so much more than it costs if you develop that reputation of someone who's on top of those things. And so that's how you get that reputation as a hard worker. And then in terms of the complaining aspect, I think we want to be very clear here. I don't think program directors mean don't tell me if you're concerned about something. Because we want to know. If a resident has a concern, something's not going well, we want to know so we can help. But that's not a complaint. That's expressing a concern. A complaint is complaining about something that either isn't changeable, can't be changed, or that you have no you know, you haven't actually thought about, you just don't like it. And this is true in life, right? Nobody likes to be around people who spend all their time complaining. It's too hot, it's too cold, I don't like it because of this or that, or you know. It's just exhausting to be around people complaining all the time as opposed to someone who says, you know, it's kind of cold in here. I think I'm going to wear an extra layer of clothing tomorrow or, you know, I'm feeling cold a lot. I'm going to see if I can get a space heater for my office or whatever it is. So I think that people really appreciate if you do have a, an issue, if you offer possible solutions as opposed to just expressing complaints. Now, that's again, it's not absolute. And there may be times where you do have a concern. You don't know a possible solution, but you're looking for help. And so you go to your program director or your chief residence and you say, you know, here's my concern. I wish I could tell you what I think should be done. I don't know, but I just I'm struggling here. That's okay, but it's it's different than just the constant complaining. So I think that's what people are getting at. Eager to learn, seeks out opportunities to learn, right? Again, the difference between someone who is asking questions, who's saying, you know, uh, I've been thinking about such and such, and, you know, if we could try this today, or, you know, who, who advocates for their own learning, right? So I think it, it is really hard for um, program directors and attendings when People say, you know, that they never get any teaching, but they're also not asking for it. They're not 
going and saying, hey, you know, could we talk about this today or I have a question about this. So I think advocating for your own learning, asking good questions, bringing up topics, so being someone who clearly is interested in those opportunities to learn. And then receptive of feedback, of course. You know, this is really, uh, I think, a challenge for everyone. No one likes to hear that they're struggling with something, but it's so much about mindset. If you go in thinking, I want to hear that I'm perfect, well, nobody is obviously perfect, and you're going to be you're going to have a very hard time receiving feedback. If on the other hand, you go in with the attitude of, and you say to your attendings and you say to your program director, you know, I'm way more interested in hearing what I can do better than what I'm doing well. Those, those residents who go to their attendings and say, you know, could you please, um, I would really appreciate if at the end of the day, you could tell me, you know, one or two things that I could do better next time. That's what I'm most interested in. That's really impressive. A, it, it empowers the attending. It makes the attending feel comfortable giving you feedback. And B, it's likely to get you good feedback that you can actually use. And it shows that you're, that you're really looking for ways to improve. And that is so much more admirable than someone who you know, is clearly just really have a, has a hard time hearing that they weren't perfect. And again, I would say that nobody's perfect and no program director is looking for the resident who never gets any constructive feedback. That doesn't say great resident. It's the resident who's always looking for it, who's, who's seeking it, who's clearly open to it. That's what's impressive. That really makes you stand out. Of course, helping out, helping out peers, being a team player, that's huge. You know, it's not to say you have to use all your, you should never get a break or every time you get a break, you should just, you know, not have anything to eat. Instead, you should go, you know, find someone to help. But I think it's the difference, right, between someone who the minute you get let out for the day, you just book it out of there as fast as humanly possible versus somebody who just, you know, checks in with their co-residents just to see, checks in with the coordinator just to be like, hey, you know, um, I'm happy to, obviously you, you said I could go, obviously happy to go just if you need anything, if you need a, you know, a break somewhere, if you want me to check on someone, happy to do that before I take off, right? Most of the time, the answer is going to be no, get out of here. And most of the time, if you go check on your residence in the rooms nearby and you say, hey, I'm, you know, I'm actually done for the day. Do you need anything? You want to run to the bathroom? Most of the time people are going to say, no, I'm totally fine. But every once in a while, someone might say, oh yeah, you know, thank you. I really do would love to run to the bathroom. Do you mind? You let them go to the bathroom for two, three minutes. You still get out of there at a totally reasonable time. It costs you, you know, just a few minutes. And yet the dividends that that pays, right? Your colleagues, your attendings, your coordinators are all going to see you as an incredible team player. And that is, again, it's that difference between kind of thinking, just get me out of here. I'm done. And I want every minute versus, you know, let me take some of this time to offer to help. So it's those things that really make people stand out. Um, all right. The next person uh, said committed to debriefing with themselves and or their team members, seek feedback and critique themselves, their cases and their outcomes. Uh, they critique their case and their outcomes. Uh, they're hardworking. They have a growth mindset. So I think we covered a lot of this. I'll say again, the little piece here, critiquing yourself, right? So rather than just saying to an attending, you know, what can I do better? I think even more impressive is to say, all right, here's what I think I could have done better today, right? I, I think that intubation went okay, uh, but I would have, in retrospect, done X, Y, or Z. That kind of deliberate practice is so crucial for improvement. You know, whatever it is, whether it's in a sport, whether it's at, in anesthesia practice, you should always be doing that. I can tell you I do this all the time. I think many of us do. And it's going to, it's a lifelong commitment. You never get to a point where you just don't have to think about it. You should always be thinking about, all right, how did that code go? What could I have done better in that code as I was leading it? Or how did that intubation go? Or how did that line go? What could I have done better? I hope your attendings do that with you. I hope they say, let's think about what we could have both done better. So they model that for you. And so they show you that that's what they're thinking. But regardless, you should be doing that and do it out loud. So your attending hears you. So they know that you're thinking about what you could do better, not as a way to kind of look for pity, not saying, oh, that went terrible. I'm a, I'm terrible at lines, right? You don't want to be seeking pity. You want to say, you know, I've been thinking about the line this morning. Here's things I think I could have do better and that my plan is to do them differently next time. I just wanted to get your input. Does that make sense to you? Is there anything else you think I should do differently? That's an impressive approach. All right, next, I think my most successful residents have a high level of emotional intelligence. 
This is something that's apparent based on their ability to interact with other healthcare professionals and patients. It's also directly related to their ability to actively seek feedback and receive feedback objectively and make an attempt to incorporate it into their practice. So you see this feedback thing keeps coming up again and again, and we've talked about it, so I'm not going to go back over it, but that is really, really key. And then emotional intelligence. So, you know, I think what they're getting at is the interaction, is how you interact with people. And again, this is so key. You've got to be inclusive, kind, communicative with everybody, not just people you think are evaluating you, not just your attendings, your program director. You know, it it is really disappointing as a program director when you hear that a resident who is like the is incredibly kind and generous and and communicates well with you as the program director does the opposite with nurses, with junior residents, with medical students, right? You 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 really need to make sure you are making everyone on the team from the janitor to the nurse to the tech to the medical student feel valued, feel like part of the team, right? Model that behavior for everybody and it will show. Someone else just said professionalism, which of course is a broad term, but has a lot to do with the things we've already talked about. Being on time, in fact, being early, dressing appropriately. So this is another thing, right? You may think, all right, well, if I have to see a patient, you know, I have an inpatient for the next day, I'm going to see them in the, in the hospital before I go home. But, you know, I'm going to change into my biking gear because that way I can see the patient and then just go straight out the door. But, you know, again, do you really want to be seen in the ICU or on the floor in your, you know, biking spandex outfit with your backpack on your back, you know, and a water bottle hanging from your hip? That, while it, we, of course, re, in reality may have nothing to do with your professionalism, is seen as potentially unprofessional. So don't do it. Go in your scrubs and then change. Even if it takes you an extra few minutes, it'll be worth it. Because again, remember, so much of this is not about what's inside you. You may be thinking like a professional. You may have all the respect in the world for that patient. But it's, that's important. But it's not all that's important. It's also so important how people see you, right? And if the patient or the nurses on that floor or your colleagues or an attending who happens to walk by see you dressed like that, they are going to think you're not taking it seriously, even if you are. And that's all the worst. Because if you are taking it seriously, you want to get credit for it. And so you really want to make sure you take that into account. Same with being on time, right? If it is, I always say, you can either plan that all the lights are going to be green on your drive into work. But that means that if one light is red, you're going to be late, right? Because you planned, you needed all the lights to be green to be on time. Or you can assume all the lights will be red, in which case you're going to leave early enough so that even if all the lights are red, you'll still be on time. And then if a few of them are green, you'll actually be early. So that's my recommendation. Assume the lights will be red so that you are at worst on time, but probably a little early. That is really, really key. And this also gets down to reliability. Are you someone who can be relied on? Are you someone who your program director can say, I need you to fill out your case logs and your duty hours by the end of the week, every week, and then it will get done. And they don't have to chase you down and remind you every week or every month that if they write you and ask for you to respond, you will respond you know, within a reasonable amount of time. They don't have to write again and again. You, if I had to pick one trait personally that I think is most important in life in general and certainly in a trainee for being a superstar, it's that. It's be reliable. Make sure that you are reliable. If you set a meeting, be at that meeting and be on time. If you commit which by virtue of being in residency you do, to having to fill out your duty hours and case logs, do them, do them on time, stay on top of it. Don't make people chase you down. It's just going to absolutely give you the reputation you don't want. So if you are reliable, if people know that they can rely on you for anything, that if you say you will do something, it will get done, man, that is such a wonderful thing to have people think about when they think about you. All right, this is a great one. So uh, the best resident doesn't have to be the smartest or the one with the best hands. The best resident is a person with, one, a great positive attitude. Two, thinks not about what can be done for me, but what I can do for others. And three, is flexible and open-minded. So those are, are just really great. Again, 
that positive attitude in everything you do, really trying not to complain, to stay positive, thinking about what you can do for others. And again, people who know me know I don't think we should be advocating the kind of old medicine, you know, put yourself last, always self-sacrifice. We know that if people don't take care of themselves, they can't provide good care to patients. So I don't think anyone is saying don't care for yourself. But there's a difference between making sure you do take good care of yourself and only focusing on yourself, right? It's that person who is willing to spend those extra few minutes helping their colleagues or every once in a while to maybe stay late for a colleague who really does need help or maybe has a reason that they need to get out and their room was going later than yours, so you volunteer to stay. And I'll tell you, I mean, it's good to do just from being a good person, but also, again, when word gets around, when your program director hears that you relieved a co-resident when you were, had been relieved, you were on your way home, but you heard a co-resident was pregnant and having a tough time in terms of their back, or maybe it was a co-resident's birthday and they were stuck in a room. These are things that have really happened with my residents, and they're so inspiring, and it gets back to me, and I'll tell you, I think, wow, that person who could have gone home and instead they went and did this, it's not that you have to do it every time. Right. There may be plenty of times where you you feel like, you know what, I'm going to go home and see my family or I'm going to go take go for a run, go to the gym. But even if it's just every once in a while, you hear about something like this and you say, you know, yeah, I was going to go for a run. And instead, I'm going to get this person out because it's their birthday. That is just is an incredible thing to do. And it really says a lot. So think about that. Um, And then flexibility and open mindedness. Right. I mean, you have to understand that things change unexpectedly. And, you know, nobody likes to find out that their schedule got changed last minute. And I can tell you, I'm sure other program directors like me do everything they can to avoid last minute schedule changes. Sometimes it's inevitable. There's nothing you can do. And, you know, if a resident who you say, I'm so sorry, I know you were supposed to have, you know, this weekend off. And unfortunately, I'm going to have to ask you to cover this call. If, if the response is no problem, I'm on it. Happy to help. Wow. That is an unbelievably powerful approach rather than saying, you know, all the reasons why this is a terrible, terrible thing for you, even if it is. And believe me, again, I'm not saying that we should be giving people last minute weekend calls willy nilly, uh, not in a million years. And I hope my residents will tell you that <laughs> we rarely do it and hate to do it and do everything we can to avoid it. But again, be flexible, right? If you got to know that. People are doing their best, and sometimes things change. And, you know, for a program director, if you're running a big program with a million moving parts or for chief residents running a schedule with a million moving parts, sometimes there's just no way to avoid it. And, you know, if you end up with a short end of the stick, then do your best to take that with a good attitude. It will pay dividends for you. All right, the next one says positive, always willing to help, team player, and can fill any role no matter how small, flexible, able to use constructive feedback to improve, efficient, good communicator, concise but thorough, puts a positive spin on things, polite and thoughtful. Again, a lot of stuff we've already talked about. I think an important thing here is the idea of being able to fill any role no matter how small, right? So COVID, great example. People were asked during COVID to do all kinds of stuff. Some of my residents were asked to fill in RT shifts. There were surgical residents out in California who worked as bedside nurses. All of this stuff, right? The difference between someone who says, put me in, coach, wherever you need me, whether I'll work as a nurse, I'll work as a respiratory therapist, I will work as a tech, whatever you need, that is the kind of person that just is going to come off as a superstar versus somebody who is ups- is clearly upset and, and lets it be known they're upset because they're being asked to do a respiratory therapy shift or a nursing shift when you know that's not their primary job. And again, we've had we've had attending surgeons here who have worked as respiratory therapists, bedside nurses, bedside clinicians. We've had attending surgeons who were not working because they weren't operating when elective cases weren't happening who have worked as a bedside clinician taking instruction from a senior resident, right? And you know what? They did it. They said, whatever you need, I'm happy to do it. It's that kind of attitude, whether it's in a trainee or an attending or anybody, that you know people just admire and think, now that's an amazing person. All right, this next one, hardworking, takes initiative, one of the hardest things to teach, and combined with 
hardworking, makes a stellar resident. Think of the whole group, not just what's good for me. Be willing to make sacrifices for co-residents. Cover a call. Don't game the system at the expense of your neighbor. Right? That's a lot of what we've already talked about, but that whole idea of you know, take initiative, right? So I kind of mentioned earlier, instead of waiting to be asked to go give a break or being asked to help someone else, go look and see who might need help or go to the coordinator and say, hey, anything I can do, anybody you need uh, to be broken out for a little bit, right? Be willing to take that initiative. It's good to be to be able to help and willing to help if asked, but it's even better to take the initiative to help without even being asked. And then this person mentioned covering a call. Man, if a, if a co-resident is looking for someone to cover a call and you step up and you're willing to do it, they're going to remember that as well as everyone else is going to know about it and remember it, and it's going to pay dividends. I mean, I'm sure they'll pay you back, but that's not what I mean. I mean, you'll have you'll be somebody who is there for their co-residents, who's a team player. And I mean, it just can't be said enough. There's a reason every program director who responded to this is in one way or another talking about being a team player. It's so important. And I'll tell you what, when I get calls from private practice groups or from academic centers asking about my residents, they don't ask, how are their central line skills or how good are they at intubating? And, you know, even if it's a cardiac trained resident uh, fellow, they don't say, you know, how good are they at TEE? Without exception, what they want to know more than anything is, is this a team player? Is this somebody who I can rely on? It's those things they want to know, and that's why this is such important stuff. Next one is understands they work as part of a system. Studies, asks questions, embraces challenges and failures as learning opportunities, treats everyone with respect, right? That, again, we've been over this stuff, can't say it enough. The next one, dedicated to reading and studying and building their own knowledge base, Volunteer to take call when a team member is sick. Offer thanks freely to many. So again, right, that's a great point. That last one, we're so quick, all of us, to give people criticism when we're upset with something they've done that we don't like, but we rarely go out of our way to offer kindness and words of gratitude. But man, I'll tell you, the data is that if you express gratitude, Not only is it good for the person who gets that gratitude, it's actually better for you. Expressing gratitude is one of the most powerful things you can do to improve your own well-being. So I'll tell you, take some time, go out of your way, and express gratitude. And if there's any program directors listening, I'll tell you, I do a thing every month where I ask my residents if they have any words of gratitude for their colleagues that they want to share anonymously. They submit them to me, and I read them when I meet with the whole residency. And it's really powerful. It's really nice to have people be able to have that chance to express it. So you as a program director can open up these opportunities. But even if your program director residents, if your program director does not do something like that, find ways to do it anyway. Find ways to express gratitude to your co-residents, to your attendings, to whoever you feel grateful to. All right, this next one is infectious enthusiasm and positivity, willingness to do whatever it takes. One of my best CA1s was incredibly positive through the dark days of late March and April this year. Found a way to put a positive spin on several disappointing turns and even inspired our faculty. Great things coming from this person. So again, you know, this is what I'm talking about. You go out there and you're positive and despite things being tough, you say, hey guys, we can do this. No problem. We will make this work. Wow. It is inspiring to everyone. And I love that this is a CA1, right? You don't have to be a senior resident to inspire people. You can be a brand new CA1. And if you bring this attitude when things get tough of, you know, enthusiastic and positive and can do, wow, you are going to be someone who people look to right away, right off the bat as a potential chief resident. I guarantee that. And look, this, this program director is saying great things, right? They they're already know great things are coming based on how this person handled the tough times of the beginning of the COVID pandemic. All right, next one. Good team player. There it is again. Helps out peers, doesn't complain. Hard worker, eager to learn, open-minded. Accepts and incorporates feedback. Stays to finish a case if they're almost done, even if offered relief, and seeks out ways to help. So we've talked about a lot of that. I will comment briefly on this idea of finishing the case. And, And I'm back and forth on this. So 
You know, I do think that occasionally if it's a really, you know, if it's a, been a long running case, I mean, the classic example of this is, you know, you started a case at 730. It's now 530. You've been in the case for 10 straight hours and they're finishing closing skin and someone comes in and offers you relief. I get the temptation, and honestly, we all know that even if they're finishing closing skin, you've still got to get the patient woken up and take them to the ICU and sign out, and it could be another hour. And I'm not convinced that the right answer here is always to turn down that relief, but I do think that you want to think about it. And I think occasionally, or maybe all the time, I mean, you kind of have to feel this one out for yourself, I think making that decision to stay will be impressive. It will seem like you're dedicated to that patient, which I'm sure you are. Um, on the other hand, I don't think the answer is we always should stay if it's near the end of a case. Because again, there is something to be said for self-care. There is something to be said for, because we're not talking here about five minutes. Like I told you, you know, if you give that one or two extra breaks, five, 10 minutes, you offer to help somebody for an extra few minutes at the end of the day, you're not talking about an hour, an hour and a half. But the difference between you know, routinely staying that extra hour, hour and a half to finish the case, wake the patient or, you know, get them ready for transport, take them to the ICU. That's a big difference and could be the difference between whether you see your kids or not, whether you have dinner with your spouse or not. So I think that's a harder one personally. Uh, I think if you want to be safe, I think you're way more likely to impress by staying than you are, um, you know, by leaving, but I think you got to find the balance there and what works for you. Um, but I wouldn't, I, you don't want the reputation as someone who leaves the moment they're offered relief, no matter what, um, you know, I think you want to think about it. And if you are going to accept relief in a case you've been in all day, I suggest if it's a case going to the ICU, I suggest going to the ICU and, uh, you know, saying, Hey, someone took over the case, but I was in it all day. Let me just give you guys the highlights. Uh, that'll go a long way as well. All right, the last one here is residents uh, who are always professional, reliable, know their patients well, get there early, make sure everything's ready for the day. Um, if there's an add-on case in an hour, they immediately start to read about the patient, set up the room, discuss with the coordinator, um, as opposed to taking a long break and then kind of being late getting stuff together. So again, this is kind of the stuff I talked about up front, right? But take that extra time in the morning to get up a little earlier and make sure you can be ready. This issue with a make with an add-on case is great, right? You hear you have an add-on case rather than say, well, you know, fine, I'm disappointed that I have an add-on case, so I'm not going to address it until I absolutely have to versus being on top of it. Look the case up as soon as you can. Offer to go see the patient. Start setting up for that case, right? Whatever you can do to be on top of it, that's going to make a big difference as to how you're seen. All right. Let's transition to question number two, which is, what are those red flags that make you worry about a resident, make you think, oh, that is uh, one of my less great residents or one of my most difficult residents? Let's see what people said. The ones who have attitudes and don't get along well with nurses and other staff, who complain about having to work late when it's 5 p.m., who don't have the ability to think on their feet, who constantly try to avoid doing work and don't help their fellow residents out, ones who aren't receptive to feedback, give you an attitude when you try to help them if they think they know everything and aren't open to learning. So a lot of that is kind of the opposite, right, of some of the things we said uh, were what make people really strong residents. I think, you know, it's interesting, this idea of, of uh, complaining about having to work late when it's 5 p.m. So I would say in general, you know, no matter what time you're stuck there too, it's, you know, if you're there, you're there, you know? I mean, nobody is purposefully making people stay later than necessary. Nobody's targeting people and saying, uh, you know, I'm going to make them stay. So, Again, the difference is, let's say you get stuck till 7 p.m., 8 p.m., right? Happens sometimes. It's not ideal. As a program director, I can say I'm pretty sure we're all in the same boat. We would like not to have our residents stuck that late, but sometimes it happens. So do you want to be the person, since you had to be stuck anyway, do you want to be the person who walks out of there saying, you know, no big deal. Someone sees you and says, oh, my God, you're just getting out now. It's 8 o'clock. You want to be the person who says, yeah, it's totally fine. was happy to do it. Versus the person who says, oh, yeah, God, I can't believe it. I'm so upset, right? No, you want to be that first person. You want to have that positive attitude. And the people who are constantly you know, complaining about being there late, especially when it's not that late, that's not the attitude that you want. That's not going to give you the reputation that you want. All right. And then, of course, a lot of this stuff, not helping out other residents, et cetera, is the same stuff that we talked about on the other end. All right, next People not open to feedback, people who see residency as a place where things are being taken from them rather than focusing on what they are getting. 
So this is, I think, key, right? Residency is tough. It's a time when you don't have a lot of control over things. And, and it can be tempting at times to think about all those things you wish you had that you don't. And I'm not telling you not to advocate for ways you think things could be better, but also remember that there are limits on what can be done. And in, for the most part, and I'm sure there are exceptions, programs are doing and program directors are doing everything they can to improve their residents' experience. So I think it's totally reasonable. Make an appointment, sit down with your program director. If you've got some concerns, express them in a respectful way. But remember also to focus on the positive. Don't always focus only on the negative. Focus on the positive. That's what I hear in this comment. Next one. A vast majority of the resident issues are related to the opposite scenario from the things I said on the other question. Right? That makes sense. Especially professionalism and communication. Occasionally, we have residents that do well in those areas but struggle with seeing the big picture, um, moving away from interpreter to being a manager uh, in terms of the RIME, the rhyme scheme. And uh, these tend to come later with more complex rotations. So, yeah, and again, I would say that's very valid. So we've talked a lot about the kind of professionalism, communication, a dedication, a reliability, and I think that stuff is so crucial. But sure, there also are times where people just aren't doing well in terms of their patient care and management. That, as it, I think, is way easier. That's the kind of thing that you can get good help for. And not everybody, but most people who are having those struggles can improve. Next, lack of interest, lack of effort, professionalism issues, right? So those are things we've discussed. Next, residents that don't respect their attendings or seniors. It's not possible to have everything be fair when you don't have the same skill set or experience as another person. Number two, residents that gossip and don't show grace to others in their program. Number three, lastly, I've seen many residents have a hard time when expectations don't meet reality. What they were told residency was going to be like or what they thought being a doctor truly means. If they can find the true reason why they wanted to be a physician, if their reason is truly authentic in terms of darkness and despair, when they go back to that very reason, they will succeed. However, if their reason is superficial and transient, they will be miserable. All right, so let's break this down. First, being respectful. Yeah, I mean, absolutely, you don't want to be seen as disrespectful. Now, look, let me say, absolutely, I think you should receive respect as well. And it's not a good system when residents are not being respected by attendings and seniors. Um and everybody else, nurses, et cetera. But, you know, it's a two-way street. So you you don't want to take the low road just because you think someone's taking the low road with you. You should always be respectful. And if someone's not respecting you, then have that discussion with your program director. This issue of everything not being fair, yeah, absolutely. So I think this is really key. I would tell you one of the worst things you can do is be that resident who goes through the call schedule, counts up every single call, that everyone in their class has had and then goes to the program director or the chief residents and points out that they've had two more calls than somebody else, right? It's not, things are not always going to be fair and you do not want to be the person who is pointing it out. Now, if you, if there's a mistake, you know, if you were assigned, you know, call three days in a row, you should definitely let the chiefs or the program director know that because it's clearly a mistake, but that's a big difference between that and between looking and saying, you know, I don't think this is fair because I had three Saturday calls uh, in the course of three months and -and so-and-so only had one. Um, And yeah, sure, they had two Fridays and I only had one, but I like Saturdays more than Friday. I mean, you know, that kind of thing is just a huge red flag, right? The last thing you want is to be that person nitpicking and saying everything's not fair because it's not. And by the way, you can't make a schedule for a big program or probably any program where everything is going to be totally equal, where everyone's going to have the same number of calls. It's just not possible. And so rather than get hung up on the fact that you think you got the short end of the stick, just try to take it with grace and it is going to really pay off. All right. The next thing was the gossip and being graceful to others in the program. Yeah. And this goes for everybody. Obviously it's terrible when attendings gossip about residents, but also when residents gossip about other residents or about attendings, you know, be professional, um, in that way. That's really important. Um, and then the expectations, right? So I think what they're getting at here is know, hopefully that you want to be a physician because you want to care for patients You want to care for your colleagues. You want to make a difference in the world. And if you feel like you're doing that, even if things are tough, you're going to have a lot of of reserve to keep you healthy and to keep you from being burned out. Whereas, you know, if you have, I don't know, whatever, I I don't think anybody goes into medicine to make money. But if for some reason that was what you were doing, 
Um, or if you had chosen anesthesia, let's say, because you thought it was going to be easy to be an anesthesia resident, well, then you're going to have some major disappointment, and that's not a reason that's going to sustain you. So I think that's what this comment is getting at, is find that authentic, true reason why you want to do this and focus on that when times get hard. All right, the next one is think about your demeanor. If people interpret it as indifferent or uncaring, whether it's true or not, difficulty with multitasking, doesn't listen to details and therefore does not follow instructions carefully, always seems to want to do less work or complain about basic things, overconfident and has difficulty receiving feedback, and then makes excuses, tries to blame other people, says someone or something else is responsible. Right, so a lot of great stuff here. So I think one key thing that I mentioned up front is this person, you know, this this program director said that you don't want to be seen as indifferent, whether it's true or not. And again, that's so key. If you're coming off as indifferent, even if inside you, you are anything but indifferent, people are going to think you're indifferent. So you have to think about how you're coming off. It's not enough to feel it inside. You have to know how to show it. Um, not listening to details or following instructions carefully. So this is really key. I would... I'm actually amazed at how few people take notes when they're having a discussion with their attending, right? Your attending may be saying to you, okay, this is what I think we should do for this next case. Man, pull out your phone and take notes or pull out a piece of paper or something. Or, you know, you have the discussion the night before, bring in your notes, have them sitting there on the, I mean, a lot of my residents do this and I think it's really impressive. Have them sitting there. Even if you don't need them, it's going to impress your attending if you have notes from their discussion with you, right? Think about it. If you show that you took notes, you've got it there, you know, similarly, people who have their, their ANSEF dosing written down, the time and the next dose due, you may not need that. But, you know, first of all, it's not going to hurt. I've forgotten. I've missed doses. I'm sure you have. It, it's going to help you and it looks good, right? It makes it look like you're on top of things, like you took that extra minute. Um, so I think that's really, really key and part of what this person is getting at. And then again, you know, rather than blame things, you know, someone says, oh yeah, you know, I think I would probably do that line a little differently or approach that airway a little differently rather than make a bunch of excuses, which we're all tempted to do, right? We all want to give the reason why we think this didn't go well, but it's way more impressive to own it. Yep. I totally agree. That could have gone better. Here's what I think I could have done differently. And I appreciate you sharing what you think. Is there anything else, anything else you think I could have done differently? You know, getting to be able to do that is just such a powerful, powerful approach to learning. And, you know, I think everyone's afraid. They think, well, if I say that the attending is going to be like, oh yeah, look at this person. Even they know they screwed up. Right. As opposed to what, like giving a bunch of excuses and then you think the attending is going to say, oh, yeah, well, it wasn't their fault. There was all these other things. No, you know, put that aside. Be the person who says, yep, I own it and I here's what I'm going to do next time. And I'd appreciate anything you can say that I could do differently next time to help as well. All right. Next one is lazy, lack of attention to detail, has the quote, that's not my job attitude compares themselves to others in terms of workload, et cetera, in, in terms of less controllable factors, don't handle pressure well. Okay, so a lot of stuff in there we've already talked about. Attention to detail is really key, right? Finishing pre-op notes, for example. So you see your patient in the morning. Maybe you're, you know, again, rushing because maybe you didn't get there quite as early as you wanted to, and you either forget to fill out the pre-op note or you kind of don't fill it out completely, it's that kind of thing that is going to earn you a reputation as someone who's not thorough and reliable, and you don't want that. So do all the little things and do them carefully and in detail. And then, of course, the it's not my job attitude. We already kind of approached that. You never want, never want to be seen as someone with that attitude. Next, interpersonal issues, disengaged, lack of love for patients, disrespectful to other groups of people. I think we've covered all of that. Next one, defensive when offered feedback, bad-mouthing the program, especially if not offering solutions to help fix the program, and not polite to administration staff, right? So we've dealt with the feedback thing. I think bad-mouthing the program is a tough one, right? You may be upset with your program, upset with your program director, and I think that's okay. But as a program director, I would say if my residents, any resident, is upset about something in the program or with me, I want them to come to me. I want them to sit down and tell me, and I will be open to that. And that's, you know, I mean, sure, there may be people out there who aren't open to it, but I think that most people are if it's done that way. But that's as opposed to, again, the gossip or, you know, going around telling everyone how much you hate the program or the program director. That's not a good approach. So, again, 
try talking to the program director, or if you're not comfortable with that, talk to your chiefs in a one-on-one private uh, situation or your advisor, a faculty member who you trust. There are ways you can do this in a respectful and well-thought-out way. And then as this person said, you know, Offer solutions, right? Really spend some time before you express these concerns thinking about what could be better. That really shows that you are a thoughtful person who's put a lot of time into this if you don't only say what you don't like, but you say what you think could be done better. And then I would add also, you know, accept the fact that there may be things going on that you don't understand and you may propose a change that you think makes sense and your program director may say, and hopefully they would say it respectfully, thank you for sharing that. And unfortunately, we can't do that. Um, I'd love to, but I can't, but I will continue thinking about maybe other approaches and I'm happy to talk more, right? That kind of interaction. And then you have to be able to accept it. You have to be able to accept when the decision is no, even if it's disappointing to you, even if it's not the decision that you wanted, but you can't always get what you want, obviously. And being able to accept that with grace is again, going to really go a long way toward making you be seen as, and giving you the reputation as a great resident, which is what you want. All right, next one is late or not punctual more than once or twice, uh, less than forthright, perhaps dishonest, fails to own their deficiencies, and a willingness to settle for just enough. I think we've covered all of that, although maybe we didn't specifically talk about honesty. Obviously, this is really key. Own your mistakes. If you give the wrong medication or the wrong dose, own it, admit it. I know we all have the imposter syndrome that makes us think, you know, if we admit a mistake, they're going to realize they don't belong here. But man, I can't tell you enough. We all have made mistakes. We've all had bad patient outcomes. I hope your program director and your attendings are telling you about theirs so that it normalizes it. It makes it feel like it's okay because it is. And, you know, you've got to own it. Don't try to hide it. Don't, Don't be dishonest about it. Be open and honest, and you're going to earn a lot of respect. Obviously, if you're making the same dosing error with the same medication over and over and over, that's a problem, and you're going to need to get help. But if you make a mistake, learn from it. Own it and learn from it, and you're going to earn a lot of respect for the way you you do own that and and, uh, own up to it. Some of the most impressive times I have experienced with residents are when they do have a bad outcome, and not only are they willing to talk about it, but they get up there in front of the department. They are because we don't make it mandatory, but sometimes people are willing to do it. They actually are. They volunteer to get up and present the case and discuss the errors that were made because they want to help other people to avoid it happening in the future. And I always say to them, you know. It is so much more important what it says about you that you've been willing to do this than the mistake itself was. You you are way more impressive a person and a resident because you have done this than you lost uh, you know any kind of face by having made the mistake. We've all made the mistakes, but few of us have been had had the courage to stand up and talk about it and help others by discussing it the way that you have today. And I believe that one hundred percent. And then the willing to settle for, quote, just enough. Again, that is all about thoroughness, attention to detail, taking the extra time, showing up a little early so that you are on top of it, and it will really, really pay off. Next one. Um, Complains a lot, tries to work the system, disappears when not in a room, defensive with feedback, doesn't function as part of a team. So I think we talked about all of that. And finally, late, bad attitude, negative at work, speaks disrespectfully about people, about the program, takes things for granted, also puts their needs above patients' needs and doesn't know about the patient or plan for a thoughtful anesthetic. So again, I'll just say that we've covered most of that and I'll emphasize one more time that you know we have to find a balance. It's not that you should always put the team's needs, the patient's needs, and everybody's needs above your own. Um, you do have to take care of yourself too, but you have to find a way to do it that is respectful, that allows you to still be a team player, Um, And part of that is just balance, right? You're not going to be the person who every single time is uh, giving everything to everyone else and never taking time for yourself. But you also don't want to be the person who at every single opportunity is always uh, thinking of yourself first. You have to find that balance. And I think what people find is when you do make a sacrifice for a teammate or a patient – it actually helps your well-being sometimes because it really makes you feel like you did something good and you will get recognition for it and you will know in your heart that you did it. But it's a balance, right? You know, you do need to do self-care as well. All right. So we went through both what program directors think makes a stellar resident and what program directors think are red flags. 
I hope it has been useful. Let us know what you think. There is a ton that you could contribute to this discussion, whether you are a program director, an attending, a resident. Go to the website, ACRAC.com. You can leave a comment. Others can see what you have to say. Let us know. What did I miss? What am I totally wrong about? Please let us know. You can also join the conversation on Twitter. I'm at Jay Wolpaw, and we're at ACRAC Podcast. And, of course, there's an ACRAC Facebook group as well. If you are a fan of the show, please consider going to iTunes and leaving a comment and a rating. It really helps others find the show. If you're interested in supporting the making of the show, please consider going to patreon.com slash ACRAC. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash A-C-C-R-A-C, where you can become a patron of the show. Even if it's just a dollar or two that you pledge, it makes a big difference, and we really appreciate it. You can also make a donation anytime at paypal.me slash ACRAC or venmo.com slash jwalpaw. Thank you so much to those who are already patrons and have already made donations. We really appreciate it. Huge thanks to our tech lead, Dr. Brian Park, to our social media manager, April Liu, and our immediate past social media manager, Dr. Kimia Cash-Cooley, who stayed on to help with the show notes. Big thanks, of course, to all the program directors who responded to the survey and shared their thoughts. Our original ACRAC music is by Dr. Dennis Quo, and you can check out his website at studymusicproject.com. All right, that is it for today for the ACRAC podcast. I'm Jed Wolpaw. Thanks for listening. Remember, what you're doing out there every day is really important and valued. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please play responsibly. For help, visit MDGamblingHelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.